church. I was uh, explaining to my son this week uh, more and more, been explaining more and more the significance of Easter, and we were reading, um, we were reading the story and the resurrection, and there's a note about after Jesus rises, and we just sang a song, "True Love," when true, true love, and spoke about how walls came crashing down, and I, I was talking to him about the significance of the fact that Scripture says that. The, court, the, the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom when Jesus rose from the dead. There was this earthquake and this, this significance of the resurrection, you know, it's, it's that significance of the temple was, it had to do with the fact that people in those days couldn't approach God, couldn't come into God's presence. Only the high priest for God's people once a year could come in and offer up a sacrifice that would create the opportunity for forgiveness for God's people. And once a year this would happen. And at the resurrection, what happened was the temple that the temple had this courtyard. Some people couldn't even go into the temple courts. Some could approach the temple courts and come into the outer court. Then there was this <clears throat> holy place, and only once a year the the priest could go in that into the holy of holies and offer up a sacrifice. And the temple in the holy place there was this temple or this curtain separating. So that the priest, or that nobody, could enter into that most holy place. And the significance of that is powerful because when Jesus died, that temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. The significance was that now anyone, even those who couldn't even enter into the temple courts at all, those who were excluded from entering even into the more outer courtyard, could now come in and could have access to God through Christ. This is a powerful day. So we're really glad that you've come to celebrate with us the day that Jesus walked out of the tomb. Over the next uh, several weeks, we're going to be looking at the significance of these events and looking at how Jesus followed through on the claims that he made about 2,000 years ago. He made some claims about what he was going to do, and he, he kept his promise. He's the expert. If he can come back from death, then he can bounce back from anything. Jesus is not restrained or confined by human limits and things that we might be limited by. And so he has proven that he had power over death. And that gives him power over all sorts of things. Also, we can now tap into his power because he's made that available to us. Um, you see that we're doing this new series, and it's you know, how to bounce back from anything. And you should have a bouncy ball on your chair. And if you want, take that out. Take the bouncy ball out if you've got one. Hopefully everyone's got one. And there should be a card attached to that. And that is rubber cement attaching it to that, so you can rub that off kind of forms a booger. It's the best I could call it. <laughs> but the consistency of that. Sorry about that, but the imagery. But I wanted to let you know what that was. And so it's rubber cement, in case you're wondering. So, um, But we wanted to give everybody a bouncy ball because we wanted to give you something that would help you remember what we talked about today. The fact that Jesus gives us the power to bounce back from anything. He holds the keys to life and to death. And there are two parts to every bounce. And so I want to bounce this ball. This is a just a typical bouncy ball. There's two parts. There's the part where it goes down, the pre-bounce. That's the history. Imagine the history of our life. You can see that V-shape in the screen on the screen there. That that pre-bounce is all that's gone on in our past. Then when it hits the ground, there's this post-bounce. That represents our future is what we're going to look at. So when this thing comes down, it should come back up and hit the ceiling, hopefully. So here it goes. We'll give it a shot. In, oop, missed it. But 
last service, I had a miraculous catch, so it was amazing. Thank you, man. And, uh, but you guys are familiar with the idea of the bounce ball. It always comes back up. It bounces back. And understanding both parts of the bounce is really important, understanding whether or not and determining whether or not our lives, when they hit the down points, will be a bounce, will move into the future, or it will be a splat, some sort of a crash. Um, Jesus actually introduced us to six different ideas about this bouncing back in life. And, and I want to introduce some different words to you that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. And all of these words start with the prefix re. They all have a re in front of it. And re is a prefix that means to go back. And so when downturns occur in life, God wants us to go back and change something. And there's several things that he's going to address and we're going to look at. And the first one is this. It's the word repent. It has to do with going back. The second word is reborn, then redeem then reconcile and rejoice. But all of these different re-words, again, they have to do with going back and changing something. And these hinge on what we're celebrating today, which is another reword, resurrection. The resurrection. All of us get down on life. You know, we have some down points in our life where our life is just kind of bouncing down and we have some rough spots. And it might be emotionally that we're feeling some <clears throat> discouragement, maybe even some depression. Maybe you're trying to get a job, you just haven't been able to, to land a job, or maybe you're aiming to just establish yourself in a career, and it's just been really, really difficult. Uh, quite possibly, you're at work, you're trying to finish a project, or maybe you're a student, and you're trying to complete a rough semester at school, and it just feels like, emotionally, you're just down right now. All these different things um, can take a real toll. It's like getting the wind knocked out of you. Our lives can feel that at some point. Some of you may be here and you may just feel spiritually down. Maybe it's not emotional. Maybe it's just more spiritual. You feel like you're not making any progress. You're frustrated with yourself over failing and failing. You feel like you just keep making the same choices over and over again and you're not making progress. And wherever we go, we end up being there. We're the common denominator in our lives. And so we stumble over the same things and we keep doing these things over and over or maybe you're trying to put something into practice and it just seems like, man, I'm trying to do the good habits I'm learning, but I'm not able to do it. Well, why is that? So spiritually, maybe you're down. Or relationally, it's possible that some people here just feel this constant conflict in your relationships and you just don't know how to deal with it. Maybe friendships are strained or marriage is not going well and, and you feel like, yeah, I'm bouncing down right now. And, and <clears throat> it's possible that today you're asking all sorts of questions and you're saying, how do, I, how do I bounce back? I'd really like to know, how do I bounce back from all the downs of life? Is there anyone or anyone or anywhere I can turn to? Is there anyone who can help me bounce back? If we don't know who to turn to, then when our lives go down, it's much more like this. It's much more like a splat. And that was a dud of a bouncy ball because it's Play-Doh. So it's, uh, it's not supposed to bounce back. But... Sometimes our lives just crash to the bottom and we don't get back up. There is no post-bounce for us. Our future just seems dim, dark, depressing. But Jesus' resurrection, the fact that he conquered death and he rose, it proves that he has the power to help us deal with our past and propel our lives into the future. So what I want to do is I want to look with you for a little while at Jesus' first public appearance in his hometown, a place called Nazareth. And we're going to follow along on the listening guy that you have it's in your bulletin when you came in. And uh, if you'd like, you can follow along on here or up on the screen. There'll be some verses. And I want to look at 
some verses in the book of Luke where Jesus appears in the synagogue. Okay, there were traditionally the rabbis or the elders would read they would read the scripture and it was something reserved for the for those rabbis and the elders and so Jesus he's in Nazareth um, he was born in a different place if you're familiar he was born in Bethlehem Bethlehem and Nazareth were about 80 miles away and so he's 30 years old at this point Jesus had this miraculous birth most of us know the story that he you know there were shepherds and angels and there's all this just amazing things that happened in his birth, but it's likely that many people forgot about that or even never heard about this story. So Jesus grows up in this town, and he's about to get up in the synagogue, and he asks for the attendant to hand him the scroll to the book of Isaiah, and he reads some powerful words that really rocked the group of people that were listening. He read from the the book, or the scroll from the book of Isaiah, and he turns, he rolls it out, probably would have taken him a long time to get to the place he needed to find. And it's what we have in chapter 61 of of Isaiah. But we can read about this in Luke chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. It says this. It says, The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And now he's going to reference an Old Testament verse written 800 years before. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's talking about something of great significance for the Jewish people. He's reading this passage that they were very familiar with. Speaking of a time that they were longing to experience. A time when kind of like they would learn to bounce back in life. Things would turn around. They would be experiencing God's favor. And so he reads this familiar passage. And then it says this. It says, Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And then he began by saying, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now you can imagine how he shocked the hometown crowd by saying that this scripture was written about him. He was saying, This is about me. And that he had come in to bring in the year of the Lord's favor. The year of Jubilee was known as a time where God had written a law into into Israel that would kind of balance out the economic system where slaves would be set free, debts would be canceled. And Jesus was saying, my life and my ministry, in a spiritual sense, applies to this passage. Not in an economic or a political sense, but he's saying, I'm about to bring in the year of the Lord's favor. And everyone knew these verses. They also knew this next verse that I'm going to read. And this is the verse that is, was attached to your bouncy ball. And this is a verse we'd like to encourage you to just think through and figure out what this verse means. Isaiah 61.3, it says, To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And what Jesus is saying to that group is very clear. He's saying, I'm the one who's going to do all of this. These verses right here, look at, look at what it's saying. He's, turning some, he's taking something from ashes and he's building something out of it. He's saying, I can help you trade your grief for joy. I can turn your depression into something of real hope. I can take the brokenness, the ashes of your life, and establish something. I can turn that into a strong tree with deep roots that will not be uprooted and shaken in bad weather. This is really impossible, isn't it? 
Who can turn anything from ashes into something of great beauty? But Jesus, you know, he's a carpenter. He knew by his trade that you can't build things out of ashes, but he's promising to do just that in his own life. He's making that promise. He, he was the expert because if he can come back from death, then he can come back and bounce back from anything. And so can we. He gives us a hope. There are two parts to every bounce. Like I said, there's this pre-bounce or a light. And then there's this post-bounce, the future. The first thing is this, we're going to look at is we all have a history. That's the pre-bounce. We have a history. And you can fill that in if, if you'd like on your listening guide. Like every reword that, that Jesus introduced us to, the word resurrection begins by first going back. The word re, or the prefix re, it means to go back. The, the resurrection of Jesus Christ occurred because Jesus was going back to address a history that all of us have. All of us have this common denominator in our life. That common history is that the common history behind all of us is sin. There's this common denominator that we all experience. We all go our own way in life. And sin is that common history behind every individual human fall. In fact, the first sin committed by Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, that is known as the fall of mankind. What they did is known as the fall of mankind. And ever since then, every single human has been fighting against that downward pull on our lives, both inside of us and in the circumstances around us. We just see we all live in a fallen world. We all experience difficulty. We, we experience that, that downward pull in our lives. And no matter how well we fight against that downward pull, no one can escape the final result, which is death. We can't run from that. We all know that we're only going to be here for a limited number of years. We can't escape the fact that we're going to die at one point. And in John 11, we actually read the sad account of the death of a person who was loved by so many different people. And four days after the funeral of this man, his name was Lazarus, there were people still there comforting the family. But there was one person who was, who was absent. And it was Jesus. When this man, Lazarus, who was his friend, turned sick, the sisters of this man called for Jesus and said, Come, because they wanted Jesus to come and heal their brother, Lazarus, who was dying. And they sent word for Jesus to come. And Jesus said, You know, that situation isn't that serious. Well, it really was. He died. Lazarus died. And four days after the funeral, Jesus arrived. And at that point, the sisters were pretty frustrated. One of them was upset. She wouldn't even greet him. And he shows up. What could he say? You know, Lazarus, you know, he wasn't there to heal Lazarus. But what he did say, we find in John chapter 11, verse 25. And he makes this statement that applies to us. Jesus said to the sister, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He's, he's addressing the need that she had. He's, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. Then Jesus, he walks over to the tomb of Lazarus, and he asks for the stone that was there to be removed. And in verse 44, it says, Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man, he came out. He came back to life. Jesus rose this man from the dead. And in just a few weeks after this, the tables were turned, and Jesus was now facing his own death on a cross. And just like his friend Lazarus, he was buried in a cave. The cave was sealed with the tomb. And there were guards watching over the tomb, making sure that he, he wasn't stolen. Because rumors that Jesus would rise from the dead and that he had power over death were spreading amongst the people. And so the rulers wanted to make sure that this one 
you know, stuck. They wanted to make sure that no story would be made up. Well, you know, as we know, it didn't stick. Jesus rose from the dead three days later. He came out of the grave proving that he had power over death. He had power. Death could not hold Jesus down. But what did he mean when he said those verses that we see up there? Because even Lazarus' resurrection was only a temporary one. Lazarus, he was brought back to life, but later on, he died. And he stayed dead. He wasn't risen again. He did eventually die. Jesus was doing something in this life that everyone could see. He was raising a dead man to life in this life. The reason he was doing that was he wanted to prove that he could do something that we can't see. He can raise the dead in the next life. He can raise us to new life. He wanted to make a point to those to those people. You know, it does little good for us to just bounce back from a financial crisis or a family crisis or whatever you're facing, to bounce back in a direction but then spend eternity apart from God. In the words of Jesus, He said, What good is it for you to gain the whole world and lose your soul? He asked a key question that we need to wrestle with. What, what good is it if I can bounce back from things but... I lose my soul in the end. I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity. What, what good is it? You know, we tend to, and this is in your outline here, we tend to look at the ups and the downs of our individual lives and we miss the fact that we're in a free fall. We miss the fact that we're falling and eventually our lives will be over. If someone decides to just jump off a 10-story building, they're, what they're doing is they're defying the law of gravity. Everyone knows that. The result of that decision is what? It's death. Not because God is mean, but because God and His laws are real. And that's what we have all done morally. We have all defied God's laws. We've all jumped. All of us, we've defied God's laws. The result is death. Not because God is mean, but because His laws are real. His ways are true. His laws are real. And our death isn't instant. None of it. None of us, you know, it's not instant, but we're all falling, and in one day, we will experience death. The problem is, we need to know, how do we get out of this terrible predicament? What if we decide to just return to God, but we've already jumped, it's it's too late? Or what if we start doing good things? That would be like flapping our arms, trying to stop, but we're already falling. It's too late again. So what God did is, He became a man. He saw that on our own efforts, by our own power, there was nothing we could do to prevent this free fall. We have all defied His laws. We've jumped. So what did He do? He jumped after us. He jumped after us. He went to rescue us. This is in your outline as well. On the cross, Jesus absorbed the full consequences that our choices deserve. He took that upon Himself. He jumped after us. And what He says is, believe in Me. Hold on to Me. Which means, follow me, he's saying. I will cushion your fall. Your body will not survive, but your soul will. And we we really can't reverse the effects of the fall. The truth is, we're all experiencing, we all experience downturns and down times. But we can decide how we will fall. We can fall alone, or we can fall with Jesus. He can cushion that fall for us. And this is the re-part of the resurrection. That's the beginning of the resurrection is, First, we go back. But then second is the, the part, surrection. That word, resurrection. That second part, surrection, means to surge or to rise. So that's, that's the post-bounce. 
We have a future is what we find out. We have a future in Him. And that's the second point there in the outline. The reason Jesus came was not just to cushion our fall and save us from eternal death, but also He wanted to see that our future had a very, very different trajectory than our past. He wanted to see that our, that our lives moved in a very different direction because of the difference that He makes in it. Not just dealing with the eternal things, but He wanted to bless our lives right here and now. He wanted to, to make sure that the way we do our relationships would be, would be blessed. He wanted us to experience not just pain. We all experience difficulty, but He wanted us to experience blessing as well. That's, that's something He wants to, to wire into our future. But what God is trying to do through Christ is He wants to take the ashes, the leftover from our past, and He wants to turn that into something of great beauty. He can do that in your life. For many of you who've experienced that, your, your lives are a testimony that He can put things back together in a way that, that's remarkable. And, and, and I, I, I look around this room and just knowing so many of the stories of people who've, who've turned their lives to Christ, and I see, man, God really did something beautiful there. He turned that person's life around. And that, that's the power of God at work. He wants to take those very things that have been a source of pain and depression and heaviness, and He wants to turn that into joy in our lives. But in order for that to happen, we have to make a very, very important choice. We have to decide that we're going to follow His way into the future and not our own. We have to decide, I'm not going to call the shots in my life anymore. I'm going to let him direct the flow of my future. And you know what? That's something that no one can make that decision for us. Your parents can't make that for you. Just because you grew up in a home that believed about Christ doesn't mean that that decision has already been made for you. This is an individual decision that each of us has to to decide upon. But, you know, without Jesus, people bounce back from tragedy all the time. But the question is, which direction do they bounce? Which direction does their life go in? What Jesus wants to do is he wants to turn our personal fall into a catalyst that gets us to stop living our lives for ourselves, but to start living for him. He wants us to make the he wants the resurrection of his of Jesus to be personal for us. Look at 2 Corinthians 5:15. Look at this verse. It says, "And he, speaking of Christ, he died for all." that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. You see, if you follow Jesus with your life, you're choosing to no longer live for yourself. You're deciding to turn your life around and begin to live for Him. You're dying to the old way of life, and in doing that, you're following the pattern of that, that bouncy ball. You're following the pattern of the death and the resurrection. When he died, it didn't hold him down. He rose to new life. That's the promise God makes for us. We can start fresh in life through Christ. For the next five weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to take a closer look at what it means to live this verse out. How do I no longer live for myself, but for him who died for me? What does that look like in my life? We, as we look closely at those things, I want to encourage you to join us. This is a great time to, to check out um, the claims that Christ made and to see if this stuff is true to see if he'll verify these things in your own life and in your future. We'd love it if you'd come and be part of, of our church over this, through the course of this series as we look at the difference that Christ wants to make in helping us bounce back and move into the future in a different way. Look at Romans 6, 4. He says this, Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, this is a promise, we too may live a new life. 
we need this. We need to experience this in our life. And if a dead body can breathe again and walk out of a sealed tomb, then what part of your life is hopeless? Is there any part that is hopeless and is that He can't touch? Is there any part in your life that He can't bring back to life? The resurrection of Jesus, it's the only verifiable reason to look at the future with any hope. Anything else is just wishful thinking. But the truth is, through Christ, we can bounce back from things. I want to invite Cody up here. We're going to continue on in worship. And I'd like to ask all of you to take out that connection card. You see it, this white card that Taylor mentioned earlier on. On the back side of it, you'll see three different next steps on the, on the left-hand side. I'd like to encourage you to consider taking one of these next steps. And in a few moments, our ushers will be coming around to receive the offering. And when they do, if you'd also put that completed card in the, in the offering baskets. But the first one is this. This might be a step you want to take is, is to memorize Isaiah 61, verse 3. That's the card that was attached to the bouncy ball. It says again, it says, To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. This is a hope-filled verse about what God can do in your life. So I'd encourage you to take this home, put it somewhere, put it in your car, where you'll see it and just be reminded, you know, God, God can help me bounce back from anything. So commit that to memory. The other thing is, maybe you consider taking the second next step, which is to just say, hey, I'd like to attend the rest of this message series. Again, this is a great time to explore our church, Orange Grass Community Church. We, in the summer times, our small groups, we have something called growth groups. Those things wind down in the summer. We have several connecting events that we'd love for you to be a part of, to get to know other people, to have fun, to connect, and to learn about what we're doing. Also, to connect with God. There would be some great opportunities to learn more about how to do that. The third next step you might consider taking this Easter Sunday is become a Christ follower today. What that means is you decide, I'm done going my own way in life. Maybe you've never committed your life to Christ. Not quite sure what that means. What it means is you recognize that I was moving my I am moving my own way in life. I'm calling the shots. I'm leading my life. I'm living independent from God. The scripture calls that sin. And it's recognizing a Christian is someone who recognizes that there's that they're a sinner. All of us fit into that category. We've all done things that are wrong. We've all chosen to live independent from life from God. But a Christian is also someone who turns around and says I agree to turn away from my sin and towards God and move in a different direction and allow Him to, to run my life a different way. Also, there's the part where we accept God's, God's free gift of life. We understand that Christ paid for our sin on the cross. In His body, He absorbed the full consequences of our sin. Becoming a Christian means you're accepting the fact that He paid the price for our and for your rebellion. And He... He did that willingly. It was a gift, the scripture says. Not something that we earned, but he did that out of his love for us. Christian is also someone who acknowledges Christ being the Lord of their life. They're saying, I want you to be the boss of my life and lead me in a new direction. I trust you, God. And so that's what it means to become a Christ follower today. I'm going to pray a prayer, kind of closing our service. And I'll pray a prayer. If you'd like to commit your life to Christ, then I'd like you to pray along with me in your heart. And then... Write that down on the card. Check that box. If you have more questions, if you check that box, we'll send you some information to clarify that decision as well. We'd love to help you nail that down today. A few of us will be kind of up here near after services out. Cody will be up here, myself, 
Aaron up here, just some people that can help you nail down a decision on what it means to make Jesus the boss of your life. There's really no pressure from us, but if you sense, you know what, I think God is hes doing something in my life. I sense Him drawing me to Himself. Then, then I'd encourage you to respond this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for Easter Sunday. We thank You for the resurrection of Jesus. God, it is the power that raised Your Son Jesus from the dead is the power that can raise us to new life. It's the power that can turn things around for the good. Lord, thank You that You have jumped after us. We needed... We didn't have a hope without You, God, so we needed You. We, we're so grateful. Lord, if there's anyone here that would like to make You the boss, I pray that they would communicate this to You in their hearts. Father, I recognize that I'm going my own way in life. I'm trying to do life without You, taking You out of the equation. I'm running the show. And God, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you come into my life. I turn now away from my life of sin and rebellion. I choose to follow you. I choose to live my life the way you directed. I accept you as the one who saves me. Thank you for taking the full consequences of my choices and my sin upon yourself when you died. Lord, I love you. And I want to live my life for you for the rest of my life. Thank you for coming into my life and making me a new person. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen you prayed that prayer, then Scripture says that Christ came in. And he's going to start something new within you. And so please communicate that with us. The ushers at this time are going to come forward, and they're going to receive our offering. And when they do, if you would place this connection card in that basket.